Hello and welcome to another Tim Talk podcast by Celtic Down Under. I'm your host, Jared, and joining me today is Patrick Dunlop. How you going, Paddy? Doing well, Jared. What about yourself? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Pretty good. It's nice and cold over here in Melbourne, so uh, you know, it is <laughs> get by. So for the listeners out there, uh, we've been talking off air. You run a uh, pretty successful Facebook page for that. You want, want to tell us something about that? I, the Facebook page that I run is, uh, is called Planet Celtic. So basically the idea behind it at the start was just to, you know, keep people updated with all things Celtic, news stories, you know, transfers, different things that were happening. Uh, one of the things that we also started doing, we were amongst one of the first two, we basically started doing the live updates during games. So obviously we were people, a lot of people who were reporting that they were at work, uh, maybe couldn't see the games or whatever. So we started to follow all the live games and give people regular updates on goals or chances or things every sort of five or ten minutes through the game so that there was always like a constant stream of updates for the game. So it started off just really like a bit of fun, uh, but it very quickly, very quickly took hold. And now we're sort of touching 45,000. We're heading for 50,000 followers. Uh, so it's just amazing. You know, when we get uh, we get people from all over the world, you know, contacting us about telling us about you know this this, this is a great source for keeping up with Celtic news and stuff, and we tend to stay away from the you know the rubbish and the speculation and stuff like that. You know, we just don't print or don't publish any of the rubbish. You know, so we do try to we do try to keep it current and we try to keep it accurate. You know, so it's going well. It's been very very successful. Uh, there's a three team of us myself. Uh, and Kieran and then Marie, so we all we all kind of chip in and do different things. Uh, Kieran's a bit of a he's a bit of a social media whiz and a bit of a technological whiz. Uh, Marie would usually uh, she would keep an eye. She would moderate the page and edit the page. So obviously, if there's things that people put on that need removed, Marie does that. Uh, and then I just look after mainly posting stuff. So it's been very successful and it's been very good, you know. So. A good setup, and I think I'm one of those 45,000 people on there that has liked the page and have a look at it. So, yeah, it's a uh, very informative page. So, if you don't already do that and you're on Facebook, get on there, Planet Celtic, make sure you join up. Great stuff, Jared. Yep. All right. So, do you want to give us a bit of a uh, background info on how you became a Celtic fan? Certainly, Jared. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> as you can imagine, uh, growing up here in Northern Ireland, uh, being a Northern Ireland lad, uh, with all the baggage and all the troubles that went on years ago, I was a child of the troubles like everybody else. Uh, so it was it was very, very difficult. But most of my friends at school and places like that were all Liverpool fans, Man United fans, or maybe Leeds or Chelsea fans. They were big clubs as well. Uh, so I'm not saying that I want it to be different uh, because it's not that I set out to be different. But uh, I can just remember my dad, you know, watching Celtic years ago and tell me about them and uh, I think one of the first games I can remember seeing was like the 75 cup final uh, and that was one of the first games I can obviously remember as a child and it just it just immediately struck me what struck me was the jerseys the actual the green and white hoop jerseys because you as you can imagine at that time most teams wore red or blue or yellow or white you know but this was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that you know so those those green and white jerseys just absolutely absolutely captivated me uh and i was just basically hooked from then and as a young lad nine ten years of age you know i just made it my mission in life to try to find out as much as i could about this this celtic thing and as a child i was always a reader uh so being able to read about all the history and Everything about that, you know, everything about Celtic behind the scenes and how they came to be, and that, that just that just amazed me, you know. So I just that's how I that's how I got into Celtic, and all of a sudden, uh, all those other teams like Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, Spurs, they just went out the window. You know, I wasn't interested anymore. You know, so and that was that was really how it came about. So uh, during the troubles, it was. It kind of pushed it along because obviously with the religious divide you had you had the religious divide one side was Celtic one side was Rangers and uh, it was great for me to be it was great for me to find find Celtic and find something that I could actually identify with and 
once I started to find out about the history of the club and how they came to, how they came into origin and stuff like that that just that just resonated with me and I just went from there and here we are like 50 years later <laughs> so something you just mentioned was the troubles and it's something that yep. as, soon as you said you're Northern Ireland I was just wondering like how was that growing up with the divide the Celtic the Rangers side could you wear your club colors around like you know a lot of people like wearing their football tops or was that had to be done only in certain areas? Just for a bit of like me growing up over in Australia, removed no got friend friends and stuff over there. But first hand account from your point of view, what was that like? Well, when I was when I was growing up, my early childhood was spent uh, as obviously as obviously I was a Catholic went to a Catholic school, but we lived in a we lived in a very very what do you want to call it loyalist Protestant area and. Uh, that was just the way things were at that time. Things that the, the, the troubles with me weren't as bad at that stage, but because I lived in that area, not that I cared. I just wore my colours like everybody else, and if somebody didn't like it, that was up to them. But it was very, it was very dangerous, I suppose, looking back now, you know. But then it maybe wasn't like that when I was nine or ten, you know. Maybe it wasn't just as bad as that, but. I found that in the area that I was growing up in, most people got on okay. Everybody got on with each other okay. But you know, I did get a, I did get a bit of abuse here and there for wearing the Celtic colours once I got my first shirt. But like I say, I didn't. It didn't stop me. I just carried on, and I never had any serious problems. And I mean, to be honest, I still do it, Jared. I mean, I I have no problems wearing my colours. You know, whenever I need to or whenever I want to. There's obviously there's obviously still parts of Northern Ireland. Where you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't do it. It's not, it's not safe. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It just brings a lot of hassle for you. You know, there are areas, you know, where still where you can't do that. Uh, but on the whole, as a child, I, I didn't. I suppose there was, I suppose there was a level of ignorance there as well. You know, I just didn't, I didn't understand it. I suppose at that age, and I, I just thought, well, why, why should anybody treat Celtic any differently than Manchester United or Arsenal? That. That sort of that sort of religious side of things and the religious divide didn't didn't hit me until I got a wee bit older until I started to understand it a bit, you know. So once I did a bit of research into Celtic and then all of a sudden the the, the Celtic Rangers thing comes into play. And as you get a bit older, you get a bit more you get a bit more clued in and you get a bit more streetwise. But I have to be honest and say it never it never stopped me, you know. Mum and dad used to warn me before I went out about, you know, don't be going here with that Celtic shirt on or don't be going there with that Celtic shirt on. But I just, I just ploughed on. And uh, to be honest, I, most of my friends were, most of my friends were the other side of the divide and I never really had any issues. The naivety of children, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's exactly what it was. You know, if you can imagine the the troubles were raging all around us, you know, and I mean, I, I, I hate to downplay the troubles, but, but you know, the, the, because the troubles were an everyday occurrence and, and the things that were going on here, you know, it became it became the norm, you know, and, and people sometimes say, oh, how did you cope with, with, with that bad news or how did you cope with this bad news? But, you know, especially as children and, you know, growing up as a teenager, you know, that, that bad news that, that came every night or every evening or every morning, you know, you just became you just became sort of immune to it because it was happening every day. Just and every that's, day. Yeah, and that's not me that's not me downplaying anybody who lost their life or you know, or anything like that at all. I'm just saying that, that as as children growing up and as, as even as adults here, it, it just became it just became normal. And that was that was another I suppose another horrible part to it, you know, that, that it did become so normal that people just went, oh, you know, there, there it's happened again last night or there it's happened again this morning, you know, so it did become part of so many people's lives and we just became used to it. So switching gears back to Celtic then. Okay. What were your thoughts on last season? Like who do you think were the top performers and who underperformed? Well, last season, I'm sure... I'm sure you'd agree yourself. I just, I, I still, I still sometimes struggle to comprehend just what went wrong, because we had been, we'd been on such a roll. Uh, yeah, we were aware that Rangers were regrouping again, but I didn't see them as being any potential threat really to the, especially to the ten in a row. Uh, last season was just a car crash. 
Uh, I still don't know what happened. Uh, it was very, it was evident to me very early on that there was something, something major, uh, not right behind the scenes. I, I mean, even the even the couple of early performances where, where Celtic actually managed to win the game, you know, it was becoming clear that there was there was major problems that the, the team weren't playing anything to the to any level that they had that they had gone to over the last sort of two or three years. So it was very evident to me that there was problems there, and I think looking back now, it's clear that there were there were probably players who were told maybe they could get a move last summer and then didn't get it for whatever reason. It just that's that's how it looks to me now. Obviously, we weren't aware of that at the time, but then if you move things forward to September, October time, to when we when we crashed out of the Champions League, uh, and we had those two defeats to that team from Prague, uh, and you had Neil Lennon coming out basically throwing the players under the bus after the game, saying there's players in that dressing room who don't want to be there. I think everybody realised at that stage that there's there's major major problems here, and then obviously you factor in the pandemic as well. The pandemic seemed to hit Celtic, you know, far far worse than a lot of other teams. I mean, I've spoken to I've spoken to Liverpool fans, I've spoken to Manchester United fans, and they have both said the same that they found that their teams this year sort of struggled, and they think it was because of the lack of supporters. And I tend to I tend to agree with that. We're, we're not using it as an excuse. But the the atmosphere in those, you know, you would you would you would equate the atmosphere at Celtic Park with Anfield or Old Trafford, uh, and I, I just think that some of those teams who who rely on their supporters and rely on that big atmosphere, all of a sudden that big atmosphere was gone, and I just think for some reason the Celtic players just it, it really did seem to hit hard, you know, the lack of the supporters. I mean, I'm sure you've been at games. I know I have where. Many, many games where the Celtic support in the last 10, 15 minutes of the game, they just simply won't allow the team to, you know, roll over and be beat or roll over and only draw the game. They've pushed the team on and we've got many, many late goals, you know, from the supporters really backing the team. So I think that had a that had a massive impact on the players as well. Suddenly they were in this atmosphere and they just didn't deal with it. But with regards to who played, who didn't play, I just think... For me, there was only really a couple of players who got pass marks really for last season. One of them would be Scott Brown. The other one would be David Turnbull. Uh, I think Brown, he got a lot of stick from people. But for me, Scott Scott Brown is an absolute legend, a warrior for the club, fantastic player, fantastic inspiration. And I think Brown, I think Brown did his best to, you know, he knew how important the ten was, and I think he did his best to to rally them and to try and get them going, but to no avail. And then young Turnbull coming in was a, was basically a shining light. Uh, just the way he performed. Again, there was controversy around Neil Lennon there. I think Lennon left it a long time before he actually played him. You know, it must have been into the new year before he started him. And yeah, it was all of, in November, I think. Yeah, all of a sudden people were saying, like, how, how has this guy not been in the team? Like, what, 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 what has Lennon seen that... You know that, that he doesn't want this guy in the team. So there was there was all that going on again. The players that you know again big big players that, that let us down. You know Edward, shadow of the player he was, an absolute shadow of the player he was. You know and, and when he goes away to play for France under twenty ones, he just looks like a world class player. And we, he was still producing for them, but he wasn't producing for Celtic. Uh, I suppose the other the, the biggest disappointment for us as Irish supporters was Shane Duffy. Uh, I felt sorry for Shane Duffy because uh, if there's one thing you know, Celtic supporters do tend to like a scapegoat. They like to they like to pinpoint somebody at a time. If there's been various players who've suffered that, and I think I think Big Duffy basically suffered from that as well. Uh, I don't think there's a Celtic supporter, certainly not an Irish supporter, alive who didn't think that Duffy was a great signing when we signed him because he was exactly what we needed. A big, strong, rugged centre half who would bully the centre forward, and he would tighten things up at the back. And the Shane Duffy that we saw playing for Ireland was exactly what we needed. But you saw that yourself, Jared. I mean, I don't know what happened with Shane Duffy. Whether it was confidence issues, I know he lost his father. You know, in the time leading up to yeah, there was three or four things with Duffy going on at the same time, and it's it's disappointing it didn't work out because I I was really keen. I said to my wife. 
you know what? I buy the home shirt this year. I'm getting Duffy's name and number on the back. So yeah. that didn't end up happening, but I put the, the two away tops instead. But it's one of them where I thought he'd be he was the sort of player we needed. No nonsense yeah. centre back. You get in there and do it. It's exactly what we needed. But if you look at it, moving in a pandemic where his family weren't in Glasgow with him, so he's in a hotel. He's not really settling in because, like, because they can't really socialise with their teammates outside of it. Yeah. And then, and then you have a look at what happened with his dad as well. If you put all that together, it's going to be hard to focus on what you're doing as your job at the best of times. Yeah. But then go out there and not quite perform. It's going to like get you in a bit of a downward spiral. So, yeah, it's not ideal. No, definitely not. And and also the thing about Duffy, uh, I don't know. There's maybe a lot, a lot, maybe a few people don't know that. I can remember that just before the the, the game against Rangers, the first game against Rangers that we lost at Celtic Park, and uh, that was probably September time. Uh, in the days leading up to that game, she and Duffy was having major problems with with two or three wisdom teeth. He was having absolute major problems with now this only came out afterwards but he was having major problems with his wisdom teeth and i think on the thursday or the friday he actually had to go in and have surgery to have teeth removed and basically my understanding of the story is that there was a there was a conversation between him and lennon about you'll have to play you know with nobody else because of the pandemic and the players that were out now i would imagine having been through something like that myself i would imagine that she and duffy despite the fact that he's a professional i would imagine he was in probably pretty poor shape you know i mean in terms of his in terms of his physical fitness you know after having gone through that and probably in 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 an ideal world he probably would have been left out for that game but he, he was basically forced to play you know so again that was going on as well people do a lot of people don't real, realize that you know but that that was definitely that was definitely fact because that came from his family you know, so that wasn't an easy situation for him either. You know, so again, it, I mean, he wasn't the only one. That's what I felt sorry for him. I did feel sorry for him because he was he wasn't the only one. He seemed to be the one that everybody pinned the blame on. But he was, I mean, the goalkeeper behind him <coughs> for a start. You know, the, the the goalkeeping situation, and as we as we sit here today, the goalkeeping the goalkeeping situation is still it's still up in the air. So. Not having, not having a settle. I mean, Duffy was coming into new surroundings, new players. You know, there were three or four games there where there was three or four different goalkeepers. You know, goalkeepers and defenders particularly need to need need to get a relationship going. They need to get an understanding going, and and that didn't happen either. And this was all happening, you know, with all these other things going on behind the scenes. So, as I say, I just felt sorry for him because I didn't think he was the only one. There were other players. I think <clears throat> players who had really carried us over the last few years. You know, James Forrest, Callum McGregor, people like that, you know, <clears throat> James, he got injured. Callum McGregor just wasn't the same either, you know. And, you know, there, there was all those, you know, there was other things. And some of the players they brought in, like Ajeti up front, you know, again, he just didn't, he didn't produce, you know. So I just felt sorry for Shane Duffy and that, you know, yes, he was to blame for a couple of goals that they lost here or there, but he wasn't the reason. Shane Duffy was not the reason that our season collapsed the way it did. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. I think there was a lot of a lot of players who the levels dropped off because I've spoken on it on previous podcasts as well where all our lone players, they came in, like Laxalt come in for the first two, three games. He looked like a really good quality player. And then he, by the end of the season, he was just at a completely different level. Same with Kenny when he came in. Same with – yeah, Duffy went through the same deal. And yet when he came in, he, even though we bought him – Scored like five goals in six games or something, and we're like, yeah. okay, this is cool. It's Gary Hooper, Mark two, and then suddenly yeah. nothing happened after that. So I can understand exactly what you're saying, and agree with you 100. Any Celtic fan who doesn't, who isn't realistic enough to look at it in that way, yeah, then they're going into Delusionville, and we don't really want that. So not ideal, but. Glad the season's over and onwards and upwards into next season. <laughs> That's what we were we were counting down the days at the finish there last year. It was just like, right, just get this over with. I'll be honest with you. I normally get up and watch them because it's stupid o'clock over here. Like if it's a midnight kickoff, it's yeah. like 9 p.m. for the start of the season. But then if it's a oh, midday kickoff, sorry, then it's yeah 9 p.m. over here. But if it's yeah. later on the season, when daylight savings change for both of us, it's 11, it's 11 p.m. So you're like, 
yeah, I'll stay up, watch that till 1, 1 a.m., go to bed, get a few hours sleep, go to work. Yeah. What's in the season? I was like, no, nah, I'll just watch a replay in the morning or want to get home from work. Whatever, it got that way. So it was like, yeah, it wasn't ideal, but the season's over. And as an Australian, I think everyone out there, if we give him a cup, a little bit of patience and let, let him get his feet under the desk, Ange will do a great job. But, yeah, I just want to get your your take on the club structure. With Ange coming in as manager, do you still think we need to bring in a director of football to oversee recruitment, um, medical, the youth set up, all that sort of thing? Or do you think we just go the structure with a manager in the same way we had when Brendan Rodgers was in charge? Well, I, th- I tend to think, Jared, I d- I'm not entirely sure because of the uh, because of the way it's the way it's done, I know that's I know that's the way it's done in American sport. I like I like to watch the American sport, <clears throat> and uh, the, I know the 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 big sports there: basketball, hockey, American football. I know that's the structure that they have there, and it probably works okay. My concern about that is, you know, just uh, there is an awful lot of the big clubs here. You know, people maybe don't realise it, but a lot of the bigger clubs, especially the the top names like Barcelona, Real Madrid. Manchester United, Man City, Chelsea, you know, this seems to be the structure, you know, that they have. My my issue with that is just I was all and I think going back to Brendan Rogers, I didn't think I don't think Brendan Rogers appreciated it. Well, I know for a fact he didn't appreciate the the sort of interference behind the scenes on transfer dealings. And the reason I say that is I just think there are still managers out there who they're not going to put their neck on the line and their reputation on the line to basically work with players and I have to accept results based on players that maybe they didn't even want to sign in the first place. So that's that's my take on that. But again, obviously, if it's a if it's the kind of a structure where the manager works very, very closely with the director of football in terms of identifying players and, you know, things like that. And I'm not I'm not averse to that idea whatsoever. You know, basically, if, it, if it's, you know, if a manager and a director of football say they need a, say we need a striker, and the manager and the director of football draw up a list of four, five, six players who they would like to sign. If the manager would be happy enough with any of those players on that list, and then the director of football goes and gets those players, I have no problem with that. I have no issue with that at all. But I think there has to be that there has to be that relationship between the director of football and the manager. There, I, I, that's my that's my opinion on it because I don't see how it will work. As I say, going back to Brendan Rodgers, I, I feel over the last few years, Peter Lawwell sort of basically he sort of basically saw himself as an unofficial director of football, uh, and he got involved in deals. I know I know that Brendan Rodgers had there. It's well documented already that there's there's uh, a few deals. John McGinn was one. The guy at the guy at Leicester, Timothy Castagna. You see him playing. He's he's at the European Championships with Belgium at the minute. Those were those were deals that Brendan Rodgers had basically. Had basically done, and were just all. All they needed to do was get those rubber stamped. <clears throat> all of a sudden, Celtic, the board get involved, and you saw what happened with John McGinn. Didn't happen. Castagna didn't happen, and there were other deals as well. There was you know, and then there were as well. Uh, yeah, and then there's other guys that you know, Charlie Masonda. Brendan Brendan Rogers knew nothing about Charlie Masonda. There was there was one or two others who came in, and Timothy Weir. Was another one. Apparently, Brendan Rogers knew nothing about those. All all of a sudden, these players were just right. They're here. You're the manager. You work with them. You know. So we've. I've spoken to. I've spoken to people who have been who were very close to Brendan Rogers, and uh, I know that that's what I know that that's what was happening behind the scenes. And the the frustration for Brendan Rogers was 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 building. Uh, and that's you know I. I my problem with the way he left was the way the way it was done, but I could 100% see where he was coming from. You know, he was basically being he was being backed into a corner when it came to transfer dealings. And as far as I'm aware, all Brendan Rodgers was trying to do was trying to improve the, the improve the team, improve the squad, improve the club, move the thing forward. And the club probably just realised that this is going to cost us a lot of money. You know, so. As I say, I, I my my opinion on that is if they had looked after Brendan Rodgers, he probably would, he would there was a fair chance he would probably still be there, or he would still have been there for the ten, but he ju- it just got to the point where the, the, you know he just he just couldn't work with him anymore. There was again, it's well documented that his relationship with Lawwell had practically broken down completely, you know. So that's not good, you know. So 
from the from this new structure, yeah, I, I can understand a hundred percent that that's maybe what they want to do, because it's the way that the way it is at so many big clubs. I mean, Pep Guardiola, I'm sure Pep doesn't go out and watch players and travel overseas. I'm sure that's all done by people behind the scenes. But I'm but again, I'm pretty certain that Pep Guardiola, with his reputation, I'm pretty certain he's not going to work with players that he didn't want to sign. I'm pretty sure he has an input. And 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 the type of player and the caliber of player that comes in there, so I I would I would be I would be happy enough for them to 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 try something like that. But again, it needs to it needs to work. It needs to be it needs to be working, and it needs to be a very clear understanding between the manager and the and the director of football of right. Here's the players we need. We need to go and get these players. You know, but it's not just a matter of you know. I, I could never see. I couldn't. I couldn't see managers being happy enough to say right we need a left back just go and get me a left back you know or we need a we need a centre midfielder just go and get me a centre midfielder they might they might bring in somebody that the manager doesn't really doesn't really fancy or doesn't rate you know so I'm not entirely sure there's rumours this morning just has come out this morning about Gordon Strachan I don't know if you've seen those Jared I don't know if you've seen the rumours about Strachan yeah I've seen them I'm 50-50 on him because mm-hmm. for me I'd like, I rated him as what he did for us in the past, but, and it seems like director of footballs, he could do a good job for us. But the the question for me is, because his son's currently there, that's yep. what my, that's my reservation. Is him coming in, if he comes in as director of football, is he going to force his son to stay at the club? For yep. me, I look at it and go, a guy I wanted all along, even before Ange become manager, is I wanted David Webber's director of football and David Wagner to come in as manager because they worked together at Huddersfield. They'd worked together in the past. Webb had done work in Germany as well. So he's been a director of football at numerous clubs. He knows the ins and outs of it. Yeah. If we're not going to get him or we want to do it with someone with a Celtic tint to him, he's been there. Yeah, I don't know how his health is, but... I think Jackie McNamara would be ideal in that role because he's been a manager. He's done some yeah. run office stuff down in England. He knows the club. He's a former club captain. He's the sort of guy. And then you hear him talking on YouTube channels and stuff like that. I'm like, to me, he would be ideal in that role. Yep. Because he's a bit more current with what the current marketplace is like and current football. Yeah. And then that takes away that issue. But is he physically going to feel up to it with his recovering from a stroke and all that sort of stuff yeah. I don't know yeah well as I say that that news has just come out overnight that they're uh, that they're supposedly looking at appointing Strachan in some kind of a technical director or director of football role but again that you point it to Strachan Jr I mean I don't know about you but there's an awful lot of people here that basically think that John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan were very much part of the problem last season. So, how can they? How can they possibly be part of the solution? Yeah, they're complicit in it. So, as far as I'm you know, concerned, like I think Kennedy should, if he had anything about him and he wants to be a manager, it's he turned down the Hibs role for Jack Ross. Fine, because it may he may have thought it was too soon, but he's been in the main chair at Celtic for 10, 12 games, whatever it was. Yeah. If he's not gonna go now and say. I don't want to be a number two again. I want to be my own man and look to go. The Dundee United role would have been perfect for him. Yeah. Or going up to Ross County would be perfect for him. Go out for a few years, learn your craft, being the number one guy. That's what he needs to do. I'm sick of him being a number two. I think he needs to move on for his own good and for the good of Celtic. I agree 100%. I mean, I can understand that they needed somebody... To, to basically take the team for the remainder of the games last season. I get that 100% and they were they were in situ. But basically, as soon as the season was over, they should have been, you know, they should have been, they should have been packed on their way because as I say, that's how, I, my, my view should, my view was that they should have gone along with Lennon. You know, I know that would have left us with nobody, you know, to take the team at that stage. But I know that's the view of a lot of people, you know, uh, in this part of the world that there, there's an awful lot of the supporters and again, going back to Postacoglu, uh, I like what I've seen of him so far, but I just hope that he is allowed to bring in his own people. And I know a lot of supporters here are looking at this backroom issue as a sort of a guide as to what kind of guy this is. So a lot of people are saying if he's allowed to bring in his own people, 
that will tell us that he's not a yes man. But if he's basically foisted, if he has Kennedy and Strachan foisted on him, that's not going to, that's not going to, it's not going to go down too well with the supporters for him, and, he, and he's going to be on the back foot straight away. So, one, I'm, yeah, I suppose, it, I suppose it remains to be seen, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, one thing with Ange is he's not, he's not a yes man from what I've yeah. seen. I think. But he does always like to give Australian coaches a chance to come and work with him. And there's a lot of coaches over here who would love that. And we've seen over in the media today that, like in the A-League, Adelaide United, their season ended overnight. And their assistant manager, Ross Eloisi, has already is been linked with Ange because they've worked together before at Brisbane, Brisbane Raw. So that's from our side over here. We're seeing that news at the moment as well. So, yeah, yeah um, it's going to be interesting. But... Yeah, I don't really like what you say about Kennedy and that he should have gone at the same time Lennon did. I don't necessarily agree with that. What I would have loved to have seen though was if Kennedy was going to take over, we're 18 points behind. Realistically, we're not going to win because of the way the whole season had been playing out. Let's be honest. If yeah. he had come out and said, okay, I'm the gaffer now and I'm going to play this type of football, we're going to be aggressive, we're going to be attacking, and I'm going to I'm going to make changes. And if he put Karamoko in early days, because instead of playing Christie out wide right, if he put him there so he had a natural in that position, if he made changes and just said, let's go for it, if he played Sorrow more instead of Bruni, if he, you know, put more young kids in there yep. and at least had a crack and said, look, what's we've been doing all season hasn't been working, so we're going to do this and because this is how I coach. Fine. If we lost some games, I could have lived with that. Because yep. at least there was a path and we could see that, oh, so this is what Kennedy's about. This is what he wants to do. Yep. And maybe I'd assess that as that's what he's, he's about as a manager. And, okay, we were making some improvement, get him a full preseason, let him recruit, put his own team together. Maybe he could do the job. But because he didn't do that, he just jumped in there and did more of the same. Yep. I'm just like, no, nah, he's got to go. Well, that was that was the overriding, that was the overriding emotion that was coming through loud and clear. When obviously on the We Planet Celtic page on Facebook, we put up the team news. Obviously, before the day, on the day of the game, the team news comes out about an hour and a half before the game starts. So, we will obviously publish the team so that people can take a look at the starting lineup. And that was the that was the overriding message that was coming through loud and clear from from our followers. Was, is is Lennon still picking the team? Because this team just looks like Lennon's team. Kennedy has not taken the opportunity to, you know, to even try something different. And as you say, uh, given the fact that we were we were we were completely out of the thing anyway, we were out of, we were we were so many points behind that it really didn't matter, you know. So that he, he had a perfect opportunity there to basically say, right, I'm going to give this a try, you know, get Young Dembele into the team, get Sorrow into the team, you know, get Turnbull f- further forward, get a goalkeeper and and stick with him, you know, all those things, you know, but. For for me, especially those last the last four or five games just looked like it was just looked like it as he was going through the motions and it just looked like to be honest, it just looked like Lennon's team and the matches were getting worse. We were getting worse instead of better. You know, so those last two games were, were just absolutely horrific to watch and like we said earlier, that's why we just said like I just cannot wait for this to be over. I just cannot wait for this season to be done with. You know, so he he missed a major opportunity there to, you know, to, to show the supporters, as you say, what he was about. You know, this this was this was his this was his stage to basically say, right, well, I'm just going to do something completely differently. The the one thing that I would like to see Celtic getting back to is getting back to playing with two men up front. I mean, this one man up front. I mean, that's one of the things that fries my head. I just don't I just don't like this one man up front, uh, especially at home when we're playing. The bulk of the teams in Scotland. I mean, we should be we should be attacking those teams and going for the jugular uh, against those other. I'm, I'm talking about the likes of Motherwell, Kilmarnock, Hearts, Dundee. Those teams when they come to Celtic Park, we should be absolutely going for those teams in the way that Celtic teams have done in the past. And I just feel that this one man up front thing, you know, and, and the slow build up and all that there. You know, I would really like to see Celtic getting back to the two men. You know, and Kennedy didn't even try that. You know, he didn't even give that a go. I mean, that—that's one thing that would that would have endeared him to the supporters if he had even tried to, you know, bring in Griffiths or bring back a Jetty or whatever. The young lad Klamala never got a chance for me. Never really got a proper chance. 
you know, there was there was many games there towards the end of the season where we could have we could have thrown an extra man up front and said, you know, we'll get young Dembele wide and we'll try and get balls into the box and we'll have strikers up front. But he just persisted with the same with the same thing that Lennon had done, and for me, that just proves that he wasn't up to the job. Absolutely, agree with you hundred percent on that. So to just wrap things up on that front, with the which current players do you think will be moving on from the club in the next six months or so? And what areas of the team do you think we need to strengthen? Uh, well, I think I think you're looking at... I know all the lone players have all gone back already. They'll already have gone back. So you'll have lost the likes of Laxalt, John Joe Kenny, uh, Shane Duffy, El Yunusi, people like that. So they'll already be going. Uh, the, the, I suppose the three main ones are Ayer, Christy and Edward. Now, it looks to me as though Edward has has been has been trying to work his ticket for quite some time. Uh, in the last few days, it says that there's a deal with Leicester that has kind of fallen through. So he's obviously been talking to Leicester, uh, or his representatives have been talking to Leicester. I think Christopher Iyer has already made it clear. Just within the last fortnight, he was away with Norway, and he gave an interview where he just said this summer it's time for him to move on, even though he has a year left in his contract. So... Again, Celtic are with, with those couple of players. They're 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 kind of in that situation. If they're not going to if they're not going to sign a new deal, I suppose they they really do need to try and get some money for them. Uh, but even then, Jared, I mean, if they don't if they don't want to be there, you know that that's the biggest problem for me. If they don't want to be there, you know they need Celtic need to move them on. You know, you saw last season what happened. That that was what happened. There was too many players that just didn't want to be there, and that was reflected in in their performances on the field. So we can't afford to carry any passengers. I mean, what I've seen of Ange Postacoglu so far, he looks as though he's a fairly no-nonsense character. Uh, I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll suffer fools gladly, uh, based on what I've seen of him so far and, and what other Australians and you know have talked about him. So I would like to think that you know that he will very very quickly identify the players that you know that are, they're not they're not wanting to be there, and if they're not wanting to be there, well, there's the door. You know, because that's, you know, we, we just simply can't go into another season with, with, with players who are not committed because that's, you saw last season what happens whenever you do that. So I think, though, again, Christie's different. I think Christie, uh, I'm not entirely sure about him either. I think he hankers after playing in the Premier League. Uh, I do like Ryan Christie. I do think he's a, he's a great player. Some of his some of his shot selection, you know, at times leaves you a bit frustrated, but... You know, he, he has scored some fantastic goals from from trying those shots. So I, I find it hard to knock him a lot of the time. But I think those three, you know, if we put it this way, if we if we get to the start of the season and those three have gone, I'll not be surprised. That won't surprise me in the slightest. With regards to who needs to come in, I mean, this is my thing about Postacoglu again. I just hope he gets the time because there's a massive rebuild there and. Are we going to be able to do this over one transfer window? I would doubt it. I would very much doubt it. Uh, for me, going back to Martin O'Neill's time, Martin O'Neill always talked about the spine of the team, and I think this is where we are. I think we're lacking. I think we're lacking players, and we're lacking quality all over the field. I we've got a few players that we can still count on, but I think we really do need to look at improving the the spine of the team. So the goalkeeper, the two centre halves the midfield and the striker. So I, I think really right right up the middle of that team, you know, and you can even you know, you can we still need we still need to talk about fullbacks and we still need to talk about maybe another winger or whatever. But, you know, we really do need we need to look at the spine of our team because if you go back to Gerard and Rangers over the last couple of years, that's where he that's where he got success. He he improved the spine of that team right up the middle uh, and made Rangers all of a sudden very, very difficult to play against. You know, and that was evident in the games that they played in Europe and stuff like that. So, I just think Celtic need to look at the they, they need to look at the overall, the bigger picture, and they need to look at the the spine of the team from from the goalkeeper out uh, right up to the forwards. And I mean, there's qu- serious question marks over even some of the players that, you, that 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 we still have on board. Like you have Griffiths, Ajete. Like, are those guys going to be? Are those guys going to produce? Are they going to be available? Is Postecoglou going to want them? You know, so there's a massive rebuild there, Jared, and I'm not entirely sure whether 
I doubt, I would doubt very much if we can do this in one transfer window. This could take two or maybe three transfer windows for us to to even get this right. So, but there we we are lacking. I mean, but go back to what you and me were saying earlier about young young Dembele. I mean, even last year, whenever Forrest was out, James Forrest was out for practically the whole season. You know that young lad never got a chance. They never they never even gave that that wee lad a run in the team. You know, and like when you're 18 points behind or 20 points behind, that's the perfect opportunity to say, right, well, throw him in there, throw him in there and see what he can do. You know, so there's, it there's, can happen. Well, there's one or two players there as well. I mean, this season coming up is a big, big season for some of them. Like Mikey Johnson, for instance, Mikey Johnson's always young player, young player, but I mean, he can't be classed as a young player all his life. Mikey Johnson has to step up. You know, and there's there is a there is a player in there if he can if he can produce and become more consistent. But you know, this is a massive season for him. If he's going to do it, he needs to do it this season because he's had competition with Elionusi up that left hand side. But Elionusi's not there now. You know, so Mikey Johnson might be able to do something. We've also got the players coming back from loan. You've got you've got the likes of Bio. You've got the likes of Schwed. You know, who didn't really get an opportunity either. So. You know, maybe they can throw something in the mix this year. They might surprise a few people. I'll throw a few extra names in as well. You've got the three Irish boys that we got at the same time in Luke, uh-huh. Connor, Leo, Connor, and Jonathan Afalabi. Like, if those guys are going to have a career at Celtic, it has to happen this year. Yeah. So that's what I say. You know that if you if you think back to Christopher Iyer, you know, I mean, even going back. What, four or five years ago, if 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 you had read in the paper that Celtic were deciding to let Ayer go, you probably would have thought, "Aye, well, it didn't really work out for him." But then he went out to lo- he went out on loan to Kilmarnock, and he came back the player that he turned into. You know, so that 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 going out on loan made a hell of a difference to him. Ryan Christie doing the same at Aberdeen, just Christie came back a different player. You know, so I would just hope that maybe this summer, in terms of the rebuild, to to, to give the rebuild a hand and to give Ange. Uh, you know, a, a decent base to work from. You know, maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get, like you say, three, four, five, six players who weren't anywhere near the first team over the last couple of years. We might get sort of maybe half a dozen of them that might, you know, they might all of a sudden throw their hat in the ring this year and say, Do you know what, we'll we'll push on now, and we might give the manager, we might give the manager a pleasant surprise there, and and the, you know, and the, the quality of player that he's looking for, he's already got some of these guys under his nose, but. That happens perfect because then he can focus his his spending on certain areas instead of having to buy twelve players. He may only need to buy six. Yeah, that happens. So that means instead of buying buying twelve players at you know who are free agents or one, yep. two, three million each or whatever, maybe he can go and shop in that five to seven million range for two or three players. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I agree, hundred percent. Yep. It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out, especially now Ange hitting Lennox Town this week coming up, and yeah, and then we've got the training camp in Wales. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out over the next few weeks. But I think things will start to ramp up, which will be good to see. Yep. So Paddy, we'll just jump on to a bit about you now. So, who would your all-time favourite Celtic player be, and why? Uh, I suppose my, my all-time Celtic player would be Tommy Burns. I was always a big Tommy Burns fan. I just loved the guy, you know, from the, as I said, from from an early age, you know, I can remember the, the first couple of games that I went to, Tommy Burns was kind of just breaking into the team. Uh, and I always just remember just being mesmerised by him, you know, this red hair. And in his younger days, Tommy had a, he had a, he had quite a, he had quite a discipline problem in terms of his temper. Tommy was very, he was very fiery. And I know that like, you maybe didn't see that in the older in the older gentleman who was the manager and stuff like that there. But Tommy Burns as a young lad, a young player breaking into the Celtic team, there was real, there was serious question marks over his uh, over his discipline because he was sent off in a few games. He was very hot headed and stuff like that. But you know, the Jock Steen, Billy McNeil, people like that must have they must have worked on him and and got him to curb that a bit. But he was always the one that stuck out for me. In terms of when I was growing up, as I say, this uh, just an absolute wand of a left foot, wonderful player, uh, and it was coming through loud and clear how much the club and the supporters meant to him. So, I I think Tommy would be I think Tommy would be my all time favourite player. I was actually in Glasgow last summer and went to visit his grave. I went up to see his grave. Uh, 
So it was nice to be able to it was nice to be able to go up there and pay my respects up there and get a wee photograph taken beside the grave and stuff. So I I would say Tommy Burns would probably be, would be my favourite. Obviously you've got other guys like Henrik Larsson was different class, you know, Lubo Moravchik and stuff like that. They were fantastic players and I really enjoyed working with them. But if I if I if I had to pick one player to be my all time favourite Celtic would be Tommy Burns. And who would your all-time top five Celtic players that you've seen in your lifetime be then? You can have a couple of close – okay, I'll go seven if you need a few extras. Uh, well, I suppose, uh, you know, I'll just uh, – you know, Danny McGrain is always one that comes out with everybody, I suppose. Danny McGrain was amazing. You know, I used to remember like just the, just the engine in the guy, you know, up and down that right-hand side. And, you know, I, I don't think I ever seen a player getting the better of Danny McGrain in a one-to-one tackle. Danny McGrain was amazing. Uh, as an amazing Celtic player. Uh, Paul McStay, you know, again, I can remember Paul McStay breaking into the team as a young lad, 17, 18 years of age, and all of a sudden, you know, like people say, if you're if you're old enough, you're good enough, and that was definitely the, the that was definitely the mantra for Paul McStay. We were we got to maybe Paul McStay, 17, 18 years of age, and he, you, you just couldn't have left him out of the team. He was that good. Paul McStay was an amazing player. Uh, Lubo Moravchik, another one. Uh, this is going back to Ange Postacoglu. I'm just hopeful that Ange will maybe bring in a couple of players that we don't know about. He's bound to have players in Japan. He's bound to have players in Australia. you know. And I'm just hoping that we can maybe unearth another Lubo because Lubo was never heard tell of him until he signed for Celtic. And from the from the very first game, everybody could see, every, everybody's reaction was like, where has this guy been? Well, you know, we didn't we didn't get him till he was thirty two years of age, thirty three, whatever, and we all just said like, you know, why could we not have got that guy at twenty five or twenty six? Just it's absolutely ten years ago, <laughs> different different gravy altogether. Uh, and then Henrik Larson. Well, what can you say about Larson? That hasn't been said. I mean, I've been very fortunate in that all the travelling and all the games that we've been to and all those years under Martin and Neil. Henrik Larson was just absolutely different class, and the, the the thing for me that stood out about Larson was he's he was I think he was in the Rangers he was in Rangers heads, he was in their heads even before the game. I've read I've read a couple of bits and pieces from players like Barry Ferguson and Peter Lovenkrantz as well, and they basically Lovenkrantz there said that recently that sometimes even in the tunnel going out he says that we knew we were beat before we went out because they had Larson, you know so. Larson was just again was a, an absolute giant in terms of the goals he scored. Uh, another guy that doesn't actually get a mention, and he was a very very big favourite of mine, was Paulo De Canio. Uh, I know that's maybe not a name that'll be popular because of his political views and stuff like that there, but as a footballer, as a player, full world class. I know that that term gets bandied about quite a bit, but having seen De Canio at many a game and. De Canio was world-class, without a doubt. The problem for De Canio was that when he was in that Celtic team, at the time he was in it, he was three moves ahead of some of the guys he was playing with. Uh, and he just was he was just absolutely different. He was different class whatsoever. Paulo De Canio for me. So those would be, those would be, the, those would be the ones that I, would, uh, that I would have to pick out. Okay. Some uh, good, good players there. Um <laughs> the usual, now, the usual thing when you get your top five is not much defenders there, but that's to be yeah. expected because if they do their job. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, they've got Danny McGrain in there. I've got Danny McGrain in there. He was he was top class, but like as you say, Danny the rest of the guys, the, 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 the guys that put the ball in the net, they tend to get the they tend to get the products, don't they? But Danny wasn't in the back line all that much anyway back in the no. day. He was always bombing up and down. So yeah, oh, yeah good fun. All right. So my next question for you is. What are some of the most memorable games that you've seen Celtic play and what is so memorable to you about those games? Okay. Uh, I suppose one of them, I'm, I, I find it hard to pick one, jar that, that stands out any more than the other, but there are a few that, that stand out. Game. So you've got stand, a couple. <laughs> stand out equally. The, for me, one of the most emotional games that I have ever been at was the Centenary Cup final and also even the semi-final that year. Uh, 1988, uh, Dundee United at Hamden, a goal down, 10 minutes to go. Those two goals from McAvenny. Uh, being at Hamden that day, I was right alongside the 
just to, alongside the 18-yard line where the where the two Celtic goals went in. And the emotion in the stadium that day, I mean, grown men absolutely weeping and crying with emotion because, the, you know, the team had basically dragged themselves back again and from, from a position of adversity being a goal down and to, you know, to, to secure the, 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 the double in the centenary year was just was just like was just something out of a fairy tale. So that was for me that that one always stands out. That was I was at that game as well. Again, you've had you've had other big games. Celtic against Manchester United in the Champions League. You know Nakamura's free kick. You know I can remember we were uh, we were just right behind that. We were right behind the goal there. I was with my friend Morris, and uh, I can remember I can remember actually saying to Morris when whenever I just saw the ball coming over the top of the wall, and I can remember actually saying to Morris, "That's in." Uh, because I could just see this pace and the swerve on the ball, and again the emotion in the stadium that night when the when if you remember that night we Boric actually saved a penalty in the last in the last minute of the game he actually stopped a penalty from Louis Saha. Yep. The noise at Celtic Park that night was just absolutely frightening. I've never heard it. The, the whole place was shaking under your feet. So that was another memorable one. Uh, one that people maybe don't talk about is. The, the, the night we played Juventus in the Champions League, we beat Juventus 4-3. Chris Sutton scored an absolute unbelievable goal that night. Uh, that was a fantastic game as well. Again, that was that was a wonderful run. Martin O'Neill's team, uh, Sutton, Larson, Hartson, Moravchik, you know, Big Balde, Mialbe, that, that, that team at, at that particular time. But that game stands out as well. And then the, the other ones that are that are sort of foremost in my mind would be the games that won us the trebles in the last few years. The first treble winning uh, game against Aberdeen at Hamden when Tom Rogic scored mm-hmm. in the last kick of the ball. Again, the I just never seen anything like the emotion, the absolute outpouring of emotion from the from the supporters. As I say, I was I was crying myself. Grown men absolutely in tears at what they had witnessed. You know, Brendan Rogers had come in, he had turned the thing around completely, and that was the first treble that we had seen since since Martin O'Neill's day. Uh, and to do it in such such fashion against Aberdeen, last kick of the ball, we thought we were heading for extra time, and all of a sudden the ball just hits the net, and it's just unbelievable. Uh, the middle one against Motherwell to do to do the double treble, and then to do the treble treble against Hearts again. That day against Hearts, we were. I was with my son that day. We were right behind the goal that Edward was coming towards, and to just see Eddie lifting that ball over the keeper, and that that was my view of it. If you if you ever get a chance to see that on the TV, you'll see the camera from behind the goals, and you can see Edward running in, and everybody behind the goals had the opportunity to stand up because we could see him running in on goal, and to just see Edward lifting that ball over the over the keeper and realise that we've done it again, three trebles in a row. Was just absolutely. It's just. It's just as if time stands still, and the celebrations and the the emotion from the supporters and the realization of it always takes you a second or two to just realize what you've done, you know, and what you've witnessed here. So, again, this one, the 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 the, the last one there, the quadruple treble, it was okay. It was good to see it, but again, we weren't able to be at the game. So, but it was nice to see them. And then I suppose the very last one is the the night that we beat. Well. Two games against Barcelona. We actually beat Barcelona 1-0 in the, uh, the UEFA Cup. Uh, Alan Thompson scored the only goal. We beat them 1-0. Uh, one of the coldest nights that I've ever been at a football match, that, that one. And then the night that we beat Barcelona uh, in the Champions League where Tony Watt scored the goal. So those are all, those are all some, of the, some of my best memories of you know, being at games and watching Celtic winning those big games and I mean, even if you want to talk about Rangers, I mean, even the day that we beat Rangers to win the, I think it was seven in a row or eight in a row, we beat them to win, we beat them 5-0 at Celtic Park. That was just, that was just an unbelievable occasion too. So there's quite a few, Jared. It's funny though, when you, that's why I like asking that question because, and that's why I say, what's so memorable to you about it? Because yeah. each individual person, you're feeling something different when, yeah. A game like that happens, like you mentioned, the one where Rogic scored the, gu- the, yeah. the one for the invincible treble. Yep, that's my favourite moment because I was at the local CSC here in Melbourne. Yep, the bunch of Australian-based teams 
and an Australian guy scored that. I've never heard anything that loud in my life. And yep. ears are ringing for three days. Guys, we got crowd. There was a guy in a rocket <laughs> shirt. He ends up getting crowd surfing across the room. Yeah, uh, it was just it was just chaos. It was unbelievable. Yep. But that means a lot to me because yep. that's what I felt at the time. And it's the same yep. with you. Each of those moments, like yeah. No one else is going to have the exact same feeling about those games that yep. you had because they're your moments. But thanks for sharing them with us because that's great. I love hearing that stuff. It is, and it's it's one of the things about being a Celtic fan. It's about it's about being a family, you know. And that's what I say. Like my my youngest lad has has started to go with me now. He's he's always been a Celtic fan, but he was he was take it or leave it for a year or two when he was younger. But just over the last sort of five, six, seven years, he's just you know it's just it's just grabbed him the way it's grabbed everybody else. You know, so you know you're 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 watching those you're watching those goals and you're and you're seeing those you know those achievements that Celtic are making and you're watching them with the people that you love. You're watching them with your very close friends, your family. You know, and and for me to be able to share that with my young lad and 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 pass that along to him, so like long when I'm long gone from here, you know, he can take that on and you know he can he can share that with his children as well. You know, what I mean, and bring that on, and that's that's all part of it. That's why I say it's you know following Celtic. It's an emotional. You know, it's an emotional journey you're on when you're when you're following Celtic. You know, and as I say, it's all you know. You're not only watching the game, but you're, you know, you're with your very close friends. I'm always at the game with somebody very close to me. You know, beside me or in front of me, or you know, and where we tend to sit at these matches, we going from the club here in Ballymena. Like our tickets are all usually in the one area, so you're always surrounded by the guys on your bus. You know, and it's just fantastic. You know, just to see guys. I mean, I, I I've been I've been in celebrations with guys that I went to school with, you know, guys that I went to primary school with, you know, and that that's all part of it. And that's that's where that's why I think it's it's very emotional. It is very emotional a lot of the times, you know, so all right. And last question I've got for you will be if you could have Celtics have signed any player other than Messi and Ronaldo in your lifetime. Who would it be, and why? Okay, well, I'll give you. I'll give you two. Two of my okay. favourites were uh, Diego Maradona and Johan Cruyff. I was fortunate enough to see both of these guys, and again, as I said, the the term world class gets bandied about for me far too much, but these guys were just off the off the scale. Uh, I was fortunate enough to see the, the the very very good Dutch team of the. Sort of early, early to mid late, early to mid seventies. Uh, guys like Cruyff, Naskins, even Wim Janssen, former Celtic manager. Wim Janssen played in the midfield in that Dutch team. Uh, Johan Cruyff, what a player! You know, I mean, just absolutely world class. World class doesn't it doesn't even do it doesn't even do it justice. You know, just a fantastic talent, fantastic player, and you know, you could see even as a you know, even as a younger player, you, you, you could see his his influence on the team, his influence on the game, and the way he talked about the game. You know, so I would have loved to have seen. I actually saw Cruyff playing for Ajax against Celtic. You know, but he was kind of coming to an end then. But and then, as I say, the other one is Maradona. Uh, I know a lot of people. You know, a lot of people. Uh, you know, maybe weren't that struck on Maradona, but because of his off-field antics and stuff. But again. You know, what a player! I can always remember the, the the Italian football being televised live here on Channel Four for the first time all those years ago, and uh, we we started getting the Italian games on a Sunday, and like he just it, Maradona lifted Napoli, did that entire team, that entire club, he just trailed them up by the boots, and they won the they won the Scudetto for the first time in I don't know how many years. Uh, the guy was just different different class altogether, just an absolute. An absolute football legend, and it was very sad to see him pass there recently. But Maradona and Cruyff for me—if if I'd ever had a chance to see them playing for Celtic, that would have been that would have been some experience. Hundred percent agree with you on that. It's just like no no words can justify how much I'm agreeing with you right now. Like, yeah, would have been amazing if they played for us. But. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's always a good question. I like to leave it that way because it's um, yeah. yeah, it's good to get a feel for what you think because everyone's seen different players over the years. So yeah, there are two people who haven't been mentioned on that question before either. So perfect, that's, that's good. <laughs> All right, so Paddy, thanks for coming on for a chat. I've really 
appreciate the opportunity to have a talk with you about this and, um, you know, get to know you and hear about your love of Celtic. So, yeah, thanks heaps. And everyone listening, please go like Paddy's Facebook page, Planet Celtic. And, yeah, uh, go. hope we have a good season coming up and how, how. Well, do. My pleasure, Jared. It's been lovely chatting to you.